When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Bupard. As we brainstormed ideas for this season and episodes in general over the last 9 to 12 months, I have a confession to make, Margot. I'm so sorry. I am not the creative genius you think I am. I, I hate to break it to you. I where is this well, going? <laughs> half of the ideas I've come up with, I have to give credit to TikTok and Gen Z for. Like, they have decided to bring back first the 90s and now 2000s trends with fervor. And I'm just here riding that content gravy train on TikTok, ready to thank them for their service and unlocking core memories that escaped me due to aging and probably because I was very drunk during a lot of this time. I mean, that goes double for me as well. And, you know, it's not just TikTok. There's that whole Instagram account, Indie Sleaze, that we mm-hmm. then discovered had an accompanying uh, Spotify playlist to which we said, we could do this. We could be those people. Why not us? We, we are those people. We yeah. lived through it. Who better to play historian for 45 to an hour yes. than us? So here we are with oral tradition once again, thanks to Gen Z, talking about an era where it was cool to wear a pair of ripped jean cutoff shorts over ripped tights with an aggressive v-neck top and ballet flats. I wore this outfit multiple times, by the way. (laughs) Out of my home, out in the world, at a bar, at a club, at a concert. I I cringe at what I wore to clubs and bars during this era, as well as the eye makeup and hair choices, of which I got to wear oh, yes. so generously via music videos. The Ting Ting's music video for that's mm-hmm. not. I almost said I don't I couldn't even decide on a screenshot to send you because the whole thing was so upsetting. I was like these 
these colorful tights with this this dress that is so ill-fitting and is mostly just like boob suspenders and like a mini skirt yes. pockets so like it really is like not really a skirt anymore no of a fabric nature plus the hat with like the swoop over bangs with like the piercing like the whole thing i was just like oh no oh it was I, a- I am suddenly back in 2009 Today, we're talking about the indie sleaze era and specifically the insane amount of, we wouldn't call them one hit wonders. Um, Sometimes they were two hits. Sometimes they just had like one song that really defined their career in that time uh, that graced our iTunes or LimeWire playlists at the time. Or Starbucks single. Starbucks single, iTunes free single. And yes. if you're you're me, you're ripping that uh, playlist off of the Urban Outfitters website because they had some really good playlists that I'll get into in a second. Ooh, we should also give a quick shout out to the real hero among us, MySpace Music as well. And oh, yes. how you could also embed these songs onto your oh, my page, yes. which I had... Santa Gold, who we didn't include in this, but who I know. was a huge part of the Indies, which this is yes. not even like the only part, which is a great way for us to plug our Patreon page because the songs that didn't quite make the cut will now be in a bonus episode on our Patreon. And for the low, low price of $5 a month, you get one extra piece of content. And usually it is something cut for time or some, some sort of offshoot from what we're doing on this main podcast. So if you want to hear about us talking more about Indie Sleaze, you can sign up for our Patreon at Old Millennials. But I had Santa Gold like oh yes, positively blasting from my MySpace page. Oh, yes. I used to terrify my college, my college classmates who tried to friend me. I think I had, I might have had like a Tegan and Sarah song on my. Oh I, sure, on, on, on my them too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love Tegan and Sarah, but uh, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was a time where you you shared your personality with the world. I would use some of these lyrics in a in a um live journal posts you know of course it was very or is your google your g chat away message oh my god yes i of course of course i and you know what i did in the process sorry also your status updates on facebook as i am so kindly oh my god third person facebook status let's talk about it no let's let's not i would rather not (laughs) I would like to recuse myself. I did have to go break out my old iTunes, um, which is, I guess, now Apple Music, and to remember the songs. And I was able to find someone who had done the Lord's work and made a compilation of the Urban Outfitters Listen playlist, which they spelled L-S-T-N, like Beholden. Like, (laughs) oh, well, also like their brand, like, was it Boulevard? But it's like B-L-V-D. Yeah, Bulldog, B-L-D-G, yes, yes. Oh, okay, whoops. Yes. Maybe I'm getting, I'm, I think I'm getting it like mixed up with also whatever Target's acronym is. <laughs> like I, Everybody. They're all just converging. Yes, they were, I mean, it was a time of we decided to make acronyms. Remo- we removed vowels out of words. Vowels, uh, who is she? We don't need uh, her. We Lock sometimes, her we replaced a U with a V, like mm-hmm. the band Cults. Uh, which we're not talking about today, but like another one who kind of, you know, fits into this all, uh, like, it's just, it was a time where, um, you know, we just listened to bands that you and I were talking about this before we started recording. It's not that they were, it wasn't to your point that we were making 
more music, but it was just easier if you were kind of an unknown band from Brooklyn or a different country even to go viral in a weird way because your song was featured in a commercial or a YouTube video, a fan made went viral. Like it was just an interesting time that where anything could happen. Well, I think you just hit on something because I believe that this is sort of like the blueprint for how people can break out now from like, say, a TikTok or an Instagram or a YouTube where you mm-hmm. just went viral and it's a featured sound on TikTok or you get yes. a, you get your song added to the library on Instagram and people put reels to it and it gets shared all over the place and suddenly it's a viral song or I don't know, you're like a little kid that loves corn and then people like remix it on YouTube. And the next thing you know, you're on Jimmy Fallon. Like, I think that it has a lot of crossover with that. I think that it just to you're going to be referencing this um, a little bit later. But Dave Holmes's article for Esquire, how he like lost some music this way because so much of it was not backed up anywhere. And it's on now like defunct media sites, which again, like especially if you work like in entertainment since or writing in any sort of form in the earlier aughts. Yeah, you you've probably contributed to a dozen or more dead sites that like don't exist. And if you don't have your own stuff backed up somewhere, it does not exist anymore. And that goes for a lot of the music that we're also referencing. And I think a great example is what I was telling you before we recorded was I saw a bunch of indie sleaze bands at the time um, that were huge or that were big like in the UK and like had some crossover um, in the States or were starting to get crossover. Oh, the other band I saw, Emily, was the Noisettes, which we didn't include oh here. Oh, God, but thought, of course. But I thought about them. Yeah, I think they were one of the bands that did open for Wild Beast or played alongside them. And there was another band that had opened for the Wild Beast that I do not remember what they're called now, could not find them on Spotify, didn't even know what to Google to try and find them. And then any sort of um, bands that sort of sound like this, like I didn't kind of give me the results I was looking for. And the best hope I have is that it's like on some random burned mix CD that I have, but I also don't have like a way to listen to because I don't have like a boombox or something of any kind. So I'm sort of in a jam. I'm just never going to know what this band is called. No, I. you know what I also remembered as I was going through this is there are so many songs that I used to listen to from bands I didn't even think of until I was doing my research and it was kind of too late, but it was like bands like, and a lot of them were British, like the Pipettes. You know, oh, yeah. you had these like kind of... And it was, it's adjacent to like, there was a bit of like a 60s revival in the UK, especially, but you had so many of these bands that had like a big song or two. And just to your point, they opened for someone and you saw them, but you don't remember their name or you uh, saw them at a festival. Like I'd have to honest to God, look up. I used to go to the Virgin Mobile Festival every year in the DC area. And there are so many bands. I would have to look up the lineup to remember who these bands were, but they graced my playlist around those times, you know? Yeah, totally. I experienced the same thing. I mean, I went through and put an asterisk by every band on the list of bands that I have on mine, on my, on my notes and uh, that I've seen live. And it's like more than half, which I'm not surprised because I was, that was like peak me going to concerts. I don't know. They were like cheap to easy. They were cheap and easy to go to, especially if you're like mm-hmm. under 21 for a certain amount of time. And then I met my future husband uh, at 
at Coachella and he worked for a radio station at the time. And so he had tickets. And so when I was in town, we go to shows and it was just like easy enough to go. And especially when you're new to a city, when I moved to the Bay Area, it was just like a fun thing to go do by yourself that where you wouldn't feel lonely, but also no one's going to bother you you know, particularly in a crowd. And so I've seen a lot of these bands. And then I also was a concert reviewer for the examiner, like right out of college for a couple of years. So I've seen and had access to a lot of them. And so I, some of these, I wish I could remember better than others, but it was kind of a fun, uh, trek down memory lane, I guess. Yeah. I would agree. And I think, you know, as we do the bonus episode, I think there's going to be a couple of songs I'm going to have to add to my original list because there's just so much that came up that I was like, oh, this song meant something to me. Like this was a big deal. Um, But yeah, it's just been it's been a fun ride. And I do recommend everyone read this article. It's called Why the Forgot a Decade of Music is Now Lost on Us on your iPod. These are the deleted years. Now let us praise them. And it's by Dame Holmes and it's on Esquire. And we'll link to it on our wonderful little social media uh, Instagram page, which I forgot the name of for a second. <laughs> but, you know, enough about me and my ramblings. Uh, let's let's get into some of this music. I think, Margot, you are ready to share with us a song that is near and dear to my heart as well. Is La Disco by Shiny Toy Guns near and dear to your heart? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, because this song was inescapable. It played constantly. Mm-hmm. When I was going, when I was trying to initially come up with this list um, of I don't know, sing like popular indie sleaze singles, I was like, what songs played at like the indie dance clubs the most? And it was like yes. a clap your hands, say yeah song, which you know is not as fun to cover and is maybe a little bit more niche. And then I remembered Shiny Toy Guns and the mm-hmm. song La Disco. It was everywhere. And I have a fun little list of everything that it was used in where you might have heard it if it sounds familiar. And you and I can talk about the music video when I get to it. But let's start at the beginning. Let's go back, as Hilary Duff has said, back to the beginning. They formed in L.A. in 2002 with their guitar slash vocalist, Chad Petrie, and then another vocalist, Sarah Faye Charno, and their keyboardist, Jeremy Dawson, and their drummer, Mikey Martin. Shiny Toy Guns started out with just a bassist and a keyboardist, and then later added Jeremy Dawson, and then added a vocalist and a guitarist. Because they all knew each other from growing up in Oklahoma and they'd worked together on previous music project projects in the past. When they added Sarah finally to be their female vocalist, they also added Mikey as their drummer. And Shiny Toy Guns became really popular because of MySpace Music, which is how they released their first album, We Are Pilots, and were able to tour that following summer in 2005. They would go on to re-record and re-release We Are Pilots two other times, with the final time being when they got signed to Universal Music in June of 2006. They dropped their final version of We Are Pilots in October of 2006, and off of that album, they had three chart-topping songs that were in the top 30 on the Alternative Songs chart. La Disco was the first single, though, and even though there would be two more singles after this, uh, it's You Are The One and Don't Cry Out, La Disco is their best and most well-known song, and I will get into why in a second. So it peaked out at number 26 on the Modern Rock chart, 14 at bubbling under 100. So like it's all of those songs that are like not quite in the top 100. And now here is a short list of all of the places that La Disco was used where you might have heard it. 
It was featured in the 2010 Sundance film, Welcome to the Rileys. It was featured in an episode of Real World, colon, Sydney. It was featured in the British program, Waterloo Road. It was also featured on the soundtrack for the video game, Burnout Dominator. It featured in an episode of So You Think You Can Dance. It also appeared in episode two, season four, Live in La Vida Loca <laughs> on the L Word. It appeared in an episode called Things I Forgot at Birth of One Tree Hill. The song was featured on the soundtrack for the film People by MDP. It was used in a Logic Pro 8 commercial. It La Disco was also used as the lead song for America's Next Top Model Cycle 8 commercial. The song was used in a commercial for the new season of Dancing with the Stars. It was also used for an Asia Extreme series on the Sundance Channel. In Australia, it was used in a commercial for a Honda CRV, another commercial for a Motorola Razor. <laughs> the song was also used in the trailer for the 2009 film Sorority Row. The disco was also heavily sampled by a German electronic producer named Boys Noise. They produced a remix uh, that was used in the movie Project X. La Disco is also one of 30 songs that can be played while riding the Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket at Universal Studios, or yeah, Universal Studios Florida. La Disco was also one of the songs featured on ABC Family's Words Beyond Shadows, The Making of Shadow Hunters. And that's the last one that I have listed, but those are quite a few. So my last note on Shiny Toy Guns La Disco, which we have to get into the music videos because I watched one of the versions. And this is also a through line that I have noticed is that the bigger the single, the more re-records and re-releases you have, the more versions of this music video you're mm -hmm. going to make it happens again with a couple of other artists. So I found one version of the music video, which I will, you know, I'll note it when I get to it. So the first one involves the band performing at a desert-like area where soldiers run around and mimic and make fun of children, showing that little boys with little toys are to be made fun of. It also uses the version of La Disco that is on the, that is the very first version that they recorded. The second one was filmed on a green screen. It involves Sarah dancing with only the guys in the band and they get strangled to death and it uses the La Disco that's also version one of the song. And the third, which I think is the official version that I watched, there is a character that's an ambiguous young person who is seduced by a lady who is dancing with him and then she breaks free and she starts dancing on stage her back starts to bubble up like dr pimple popper and like her little oh i don't know spider like doc ock legs come out and like start to murder people but you can clearly tell that it's like green screen and like they're telling people like react and like they don't know what to do because one guy's getting murdered and he's just like nodding his head and you're like you're getting murdered bro like, <laughs> like it. it was but it mostly it's the fashion you've got like um like the lame booty shorts from like american apparel or with to your credit ripped tights underneath and yep. then like a, a ripped bodice top and then like an ill-fitting page boy hat it's very mm -hmm. very funny mm -hmm. anyway so th they said that it's like the women are supposed to turn into Kafka-esque monsters and murder all of the men in this, like, dance club. And this is the version of the song that's the final version on the last album uh, or the last version of We Are Pilots release that was with Universal. And that is Shiny Toy Guns, La Disco. So I had to reorder my songs because, strangely, a song that is very different from La Disco 
uh, sweet disposition by the temper trap has a lot of parallels. And so I had to go into it. So because sometimes sometimes the indie sleaze needs to slow down and you need you need to settle down and you need to have a wedding and you need to put together a playlist. (laughs) And so if you were some Brooklynite couple in the early 2010s, best believe fucking a sweet disposition by the temper traps going to be walking, going to be playing while someone walks down the aisle. Oh my God. That's a Portlandia sketch. I can't believe they never got to that. It is. It really is. Uh, It is. It coincided with Indie Sleaze, obviously. And like I said, felt like the official wedding song of that Indie Sleaze set. The temper trap is an Australian band that was formed in 2005 in Melbourne. Uh, But the band eventually relocated to London and Sweet Disposition was on their debut album, Conditions, which is that creepy album where there's a small child with a black background. Like, it's it's still very haunting. Um, this song was a huge hit for the band, and it reached to number nine on Billboard's Alternative Songs chart. And this was in big part because, like La Disco, it was prominently featured in several films and commercials, which I will go get into now because the list is long. Obviously, most famously was in the 500 Days of Summer, uh, was also featured on in the movie Three Days to Kill starring Kevin Costner. Okay. <laughs> um, it was also featured in the, ro- the 2020 film I Still Believe, which Wikipedia describes as a Christian romance film. And it stars KJ Apa, a.k.a. Um, Archie from Riverdale. And then the commercials. It was featured in a 2009 commercial for Center Parks. Uh, It was featured in a Sky Sports advertisement featuring Jose Mourinho. It was featured in a 2009-02 commercial. It was featured in a 2010 Indonesian commercial promoting the Toyota Yaris. It was featured (laughs) in a long-form commercial for Chrysler. It was featured in a Diet Coke commercial that aired during the Oscars. And then was featured in a, this is a 2010 reference, 2010 commercial for Rhapsody Music Service. Um, And then finally was featured in Pro Evolution Soccer 2011. So much like your uh, previous song, uh, La Disco, was featured kind of everywhere. There was a dance remix of the song that reached number one on Billboard's Hot Dance Airplay chart in April 2010. And it received a platinum certification uh, from the RIAA, the album did, for more than a million copies sold. And they won all sorts of awards during the ARIA Awards, which are the Australian Grammys. They won Best Group, Most Popular Australian Single. And there were, like La Disco, three different versions of the music video because, much like you, they had a couple of versions, I think, of their album that were released. And because they were an Australian band who was big in the UK and then also in the US, they had an Australian version that was directed by Madeline Griffith, which had them performing alongside slow motion footage of light bulbs, uh, a UK international version that had a uh, a girl rollerblading through space, which feels very 2000s to me. And uh, and then there was a U.S. version, which is the one I remember seeing, which had the band members playing around with musical instruments as well as demolishing them. It was just a time for weird music videos. But enough about the music videos. Since Sweet Disposition, The Temper Drop has released two additional albums, their most recent in 2016. In 2013, the band's lead guitarist and co-writer of Sweet Disposition, Lorenzo Stiletto, left left the band. 
Most recently, the band opened for Imagine Dragons during their New Zealand leg of their 2018 tour. And also, I should note, it was a free iTunes single of the week, and I had to do a lot of Googling to confirm I wasn't having a hallucination. (laughs) And that's Sweet Disposition. Now, I don't know if they have anything in common with each other, so I'm just going to get into it with uh, Ice Cream by New Young Pony Club. New New Young Pony Club, which is now known as NYPC, which I think is really confusing, but go off. (laughs) And also is like a little too close to like New York City police, you know, like police city, like, you know, a cab over here. Like, I don't know if you guys want to stick with that. You guys might want to like try something different. Anyway, they are British, though. So maybe that has something to do with it. And the band was formed by Andy Spence and Tahita Bulmer in 2004 when they were introduced by mutual friends. Once they started writing together, they quickly decided they needed to expand into a proper band, so they added Lou Hader, who spells his name incredibly, which is H-A-Y-T-E-R, like Hader, like what an iconic last name. He's on keyboards. We've got Igor Volk on bass and Sarah Jones on drums, and they made it official in 2005. They released two limited edition 7 inches with the get-go and ice cream on either side with the label Tirk recordings before being discovered by a more established Australian label, Modular Recordings, and then signed a worldwide deal. The band's name came from Bulmer and her desire desire to be part of a club or a team at school. Her original idea for the band name was Pony Club, but too many pre-existing Irish bands had already claimed the name. So the prefix New Young was added to reflect that. And she would later tell a publication that the band is, quote, a newer, younger, and kinkier pony club. Their debut album, Fantastic Playroom, was released in July of 2007, and the album actually debuted at number 54 on the UK album chart and didn't do terribly its first week, sold about 8,400 copies. And as of March of 2010, it sold over 32,000. The band toured extensively to support the album in 2006 and 2007 with Lily Allen, followed by uh, being added to the NME Indie Rave Tour alongside CSS, the Sunshine Undergrounds, and the Claxons. We've got two of these bands coming right up. The band went on their first headline tour to promote the album Fantastic Playroom and sold out in May, sold out the Gloucester Guildhall in May of 2007. Um, But by 2009, Sarah Jones, their drummer, would go on to join Bat for Lashes and then later Hot Chip. And then she also would sub in for Block Party's drummer. So there's a a nice little like baratatat of like indie (laughs) sleep other bands. (laughs) After that, the last time they would perform live under the name New Young Pony Club would be for Katy Perry's European tour in 2011. And after Sarah leaves, Hater, the guy on the keys, would also leave. And then that would only have the founding members that would be left and they would rebrand to be NYPC and have gone back to their electronic roots. And I know I didn't quite get into ice cream because there wasn't really anything to get into. It's basically the single that launched them into like a larger career. And although they had other albums to follow after Fantastic Playroom, I would say Ice Cream and The Bomb were still kind of like their best known singles. And now you can catch them as NYPC on the ones and twos. Very interesting choice in acronyms. I too would maybe think about workshopping it a little bit. You know, maybe Um, take it back to the board, like do a tinker, give it a thinker. Like let's, let's move. Like, are we attached to just letters? Like, why don't we just like start fresh? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm glad you brought up CSS because that is my next song. Uh, Specifically, music 
<laughs> that lineup alone, I was like, well, we're covering almost all of these bands. So gotta gotta include this in my write-up. <laughs> so we're covering today music is my hot hot sex, uh, by CSS or uh what their real what that stands for is Cansei de Ser Sexy. And I apologize to all of our Portuguese speakers. <laughs> Uh, because I speak French, I can dabble in Spanish and, you know, maybe a couple of glasses of red wine can order successfully off of an Italian menu. So Portuguese is not in my wheelhouse. Uh, (laughs) but more famously they go by CSS. Um, and much like Sweet Disposition, this song got a lot of commercial love. And I remember it had a viral music video, which is another thing that comes out of these indie sleaze songs. So CSS was formed in 2003, and their name, Cansei de Ser Sexy, is Brazilian or Portuguese for Tired of Being Sexy, which they claim was taken from a reported quote by Beyonce, who allegedly once declared that she was, quote, tired of being sexy. They signed with Sub Pop, another big indie sleaze hallmark label, in 2006 and released their first global release that same year. They had success with their first single, Let's Make Love and Listen to Death from Above, which ended up being a lot of best list, best of lists for 2006. But that song didn't go viral because back then that was still, you know, a relatively new thing to say about a song, quite like the way music is my hot, hot sex did. And this was because of a homemade 30 second commercial for the iPod Touch that an 18 year old British student named Nick Haley posted on YouTube on September 11th, 2007. Uh, so Apple's ad agency that they've used for years, TBWA, Chaya Day, one of probably the most famous ad agencies in the world, saw the video that he had created and reached out to him to make it because they wanted to make it into an actual iPod commercial. So with this Apple approved version that was reshot, it aired as an actual iPod touch commercial, another like ding, 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 indie sleaze, right? Uh, In the US beginning on October 28th, 2007. And because of the commercial and video, the song charted at number 63 on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming the highest charting single in the US by a Brazilian band to date. Despite going viral this way, there was never an official music video. And so there was a second video that made it super big. Um, There was never an official music video for this song, but an unofficial fan video separate from the above mentioned video would be the first video on YouTube to surpass 100 million views. And it did so in March of 2008. And this record would not be reached again until Avril Lavigne's girlfriend would reach the milestone later that year. And they it looks like Avril surpassed that in like January of 2009. The song was also used in a talk about 2000s uh, Zune commercial a year earlier in 2006. And CSS also had an iTunes free single. It wasn't this song. It was a different one, but very much a part of that iTunes free single train. So where is CSS now? They have released three additional albums and their last album, Planta, came out in 2013. One of the group's main members, Adriano Sintra, left the group in 2011 and declared that he no longer authorized any of the band members to use his song in any forthcoming concerts. And it seems like he basically spent the next year shitting on his other former band members, saying that they were incompetent. He felt like they were unprofessional, unable to collaborate with him. He, like, just middle fingers all around. Um, he they've ne- He's never jo- rejoined the band. And unfortunately, it seems like CSS really hasn't done a whole lot much since. 
But for one shining moment, they had a very popular YouTube video and song. Yeah. And that's CSS. Music is my hot, hot sex was there was Indie 103 uh, in L.A., the radio station, and that played Mm. hourly, if not every two hours. You bring up a radio format that did not stopped existing, at least to my knowledge, in the D.C. area when I by the time I was in like high school, college, which is like an indie slash album oriented rock station. So like here we had. You know, like you you have your college station, so you have like a Berkeley station. You have like a couple of other – I think like um, Santa Clara has a station in San Jose. But like – and then at one point you had KFOG, but KFOG's been done for like, I don't know, six years at this point. It's been a while. And so I feel like that is a, a radio station format you don't find quite as often, unfortunately, um, unless you're in a college town. So it's interesting. LA had one. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a great station while it lasted. <laughs> they had, um, oh Lord, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy from the Sex Pistols had his um, a Jonesy's jukebox was like a really fun uh, hour that they gave. Oh, there was Johnny also, Rotten. Yes. Well, or there Johnny was also Martin. like his. There was like a producer. I'm like completely messing it up, but there was Jonesy's jukebox, which was like an old rockers like hour and it might be Mm. like a different sex pistols member that had like a separate time and then i think it was like the drummer from the melvins who was also a lawyer (laughs) had a radio (laughs) hour that was he but he was my favorite and i'm completely blanking on his name but um that was also just a a moment in time as truly my next song a band that i the first band on this list that i have seen live uh yale Je veux te voir, who is a French band, was founded by the lead singer and namesake Yale, whose name is really Julie Boudet. And Grand Marnier, her cohort, Jean-Francois Perrier. They also have a third member that was later added, Tepper, Tepir. Um, his name is Tenge Destebal. Uh, they joined the band. They recorded their debut album. And the band name, Yelly, came from an acronym from the phrase, you enjoy life. So, like, she was ahead of her time in, like, the YOLO movement <laughs> or, like, uh, um, what is it? Uh, more life movement, as uh, Drake likes to say. <laughs> but uh, Y-E-L was later feminized to Yelly because a Belgian band had already taken the name. So Yelle and Grand Marnier began working on music together in 2000, but came to prominence when they posted an early version of Je veux te voir on MySpace and in 2000 or in September of 2005, which later would earn like over 2 million listens on MySpace and like over 10 million views on YouTube. I, that can't be right. But like uh, they had an, an immense amount of views on YouTube and like over 2 million listens on MySpace. It would later reach the top five in France and the success of the due to the success of the song on MySpace, it would attract the attention of a record label, Source, etc., which got them their debut album, Pop Up, which would later be released in 2007. But to back it up a touch, before the single was called Je veux te voir, it was called Short Dick Sucousi. The song's original title refers to Cousinière of French alternative hip-hop band TTC and was released as a mock diss track, originally written and produced by Grand Monnier. They would later go after that. They began to work on what would become Pop Up, um, which includes Je Devoir. And in 2006, while they all held down J jobs, Grand Marnier was a journalist. Tepper was producing other people's music. They would also perform at clubs at night at the same time. 
The band also enjoyed success outside of France, despite making songs exclusively in French and have toured extensively overseas in non-French speaking countries. In the U.S., they were featured as MTV's Artist of the Week in March of 2008, and they've played Coachella before, actually multiple times. The music video is also a very fun throwback where she is dressed in very bright colors and put in a soundstage to dance through with some great SpawnCon from Zune and Hummer and some actual choreography with some backup dancers. Yelly and NYPC have something in common, though. They both opened for Katy Perry on tour in 2011, and they are still making music as recently as uh, 2020. Well, my group, though I have no French people on my list, uh, I do have a British band with a title of a song that is French-like, uh, and that is Ooh La La by Goldfrap. Uh, Gotta so take I, the wins where you can get them. That's right. Oui, oui. <laughs> Bien sûr. Bien sûr. I can't tell you how much I fucking love whenever Madewell has those little drawstring bags that say bien fait and like I hoard them like nobody's business like jewelry knickknacks toiletries what have you I mean just cover me make me a dress of the bien fait drawstring bags Madewell well to go back to our episode from last week Becca texted me the other day and was like your impact like as a joke but it was a who what where article about like like, don't know what to wear, like, follow the simple rules to dress like a French girl. And a lot of it was, like, jeans, ballet flats, a tr- like, a neutral trench coat, like, a, a, a oh standard button-down. But one thing that Who, What, Wear does really well is they give you, like, a lot of price point options. So there was, like, a Madewell button-down that's, like, $30, or you could go all the way to, like, a Gucci and, like, spend way more money. So I found that to be really, <laughs> very funny. I do love that every every year or so someone publishes an article about French girl style. Like Alexa Chung's done this a few times for sure. Speaking of indie sleaze celebrities, I uh, mean, yeah, I mean <laughs> the number one girly of indie oh, yeah. sleaze, especially when it comes to fashion and style. And then dated like the number one indie sleaze guy, Alex Turner from um, Arctic Monkeys and Lost the Shadow Puppets. So she is she is integral to the indie sleaze scene. You know, it's funny because before we hit the record button, speaking of Frenchies and Indie Sleaze, like I do love that like the Indie Sleaze couple that made it is Sofia Coppola and Thomas Mars of Phoenix because or Tomas, like I feel like they are really the the one that that survived it all and, you know, have have grown since then. There's a little bit of the Nepo baby angle, but I think Romy Mars is the product of Indie Sleaze era. And you can quote me on that world. Do you want to get back to Goldfrap now that I've properly derailed us? (laughs) So I thought Goldfrap was just one person. And it is, of course, Allison Goldfrap, but it is a duo. And Goldfrap is Allison Goldfrap and Will Gregory, the synth player and producer. And both of them are so interesting because they were musicians for way longer than their collaboration. I didn't realize because, like, I thought they were much younger than they actually are. Um, They're both, you know, in their 50s. And I think even um, I think that Will Gregory is even in his 60s. 
And what's cool is Will Gregory was like a really notable session musician. He played on the Tears for Fears album, Music from the Big Chair. That's like the the album that Tears for Fears has like all their hits on. And then he performed with Peter Gabriel, Tori Amos, and he was even on uh, the Tori Amos album, Little Earthquakes, and he performed with the Cure in Portishead. And meanwhile, Alison Goldfrapp was a session featured musician in the 90s, was on the Orbital album, Snivilization, and was also on a number of other musician songs, including Dreadstone and the rapper Tricky. And Gregory heard the vocals she provided for Tricky's um, song Pumpkin, and in 1999, they collaborated and formed Goldfrapp. So Ooh La La, they had released a few albums, but and Ooh La La is from their third album, Supernature, which was released in 2005. Goldfrapp began working on the song in 2004. It was produced by both of them and written by both of them. And it's been described as a, quote, dirty, decadent homage to Mark Bolin, the lead singer of T-Rex. And in addition to being an homage to Bolin, the the song does sound quite a bit like Spirit in the Sky, which is by Norman Greenbaum, a very famous one-hit wonder, um, which I re-listened and compared the two. And it does, like the guitar in it and the synths do very much sound like it. So that's kind of funny. Um, The song was so big. It was nominated for Best Dance Recording at the 49th Grammy Awards in 2007, but it lost to, it's 2007, Margo. Who do you think this song lost to? Um, The Killers? Justin Timberlake's Sexy Back. Well, yeah, it's not like you, a close you, second of guesses. Because I was like, what was like the biggest <laughs> thing that I remember hearing in 2007? Oh, I guess maybe the killers were like at Coachella the fall. There was a year where they played and they played oh, sure. all of um, whatever Mr. Brightside is on. Oh, I, Hot Fuzz. I had that album. Is that what it's called? Oh Wait, no, Which, that's the you know, movie. No, it's, that's a movie. <laughs> Sorry, like, but the, it is similar. The Superior movie with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost? <laughs> No, but the, the album was something – I'm Googling it now because it's going to – Hot Fuss. Okay, there we go. Hot I wasn't fuss. 100%. You were totally – well, you switched this, the S and the Z, <laughs> which is very Snoop Dogg of you, I suppose. But in this case, <laughs> produced a, a comical uh, misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> So the song hit number one on the U.S. Billboard, uh, I should preface, Ooh La La hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Dance Club song chart, and the album Supernature went platinum. And in terms of what Goldfrapp has been up to since the single and record, they're still very prolific, for the most part, in releasing music. They've released four additional albums since then, with their latest, Silver Eye, being released in 2017. And they've still been successful, but nothing kind of hit. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As big as Ooh La La, Alison Goldfrapp is releasing her first solo album next month, actually. So that'll be exciting. I'll definitely want to check that out. Um, and Will Gregory has had a big career scoring music for film and theater, including the Royal Shakespeare Company's 2019 production of King John at the Swan Theater in Stratford-upon-Avon. And in 2021, Gregory, along with Alison Goldfrapp and Adrian Utley, did the music for, BBC, for the BBC and Amazon Prime show, Chloe. Um, so they're scoring, they're doing a lot of other like side and solo projects. And this comes up a lot with some of my indie sleaze artists. Um, but fun fact about this movie because it was definitely featured in several commercials but the movie I think of the most is She's the Man because I think it's either at the beginning Mm. or early on in the film Uh, but classic film classic song no notes well my my plus one to what you just said is actually like two prong to your first point about how a lot of indie sleaze artists have become composers and producers for soundtracks and at law. Um, I recently found out, in addition to my friend that works at Salesforce with Micah from Love is Blind, also discovered that there, because of course, Salesforce has a fucking in-house composer, is a former member of um, the Go team. What? Yes. Even in one, they have an in-house yes. composer Look. too. I almost threw her out of my house once when we were like talking about work stuff. And she was like, yeah, did you know the Salesforce bear is non-binary? I was like, this is why you guys are laying people off. You hire people to like do shit, like name a non-binary bear that like nobody is even associates with Salesforce because no one knows what y'all do. Anyway, so I thought that was fun. And then my, my second point was going to be about Goldfrap more specifically when I... I just so happened I had the urge to check my Facebook memories today. And 10 years ago today, I interviewed Goldfrapp for The Examiner when she put out whatever album was coming out at that time. And she is incredibly cool. And we talked a lot about how, especially at the time that Ooh La La was coming out, they got a lot of comparisons to Lady Hawk, who was another band. Yes, I almost had a similar... Yep, had a similar sound, had, you know, like a lady lead singer, had like sort of like a synth poppy thing, very like high production value. So I thought that to be uh, very kismet that we are talking about this on today of all days. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because I feel like when I read that Will Gregory had worked on some Portishead tracks, it felt like, oh, this checks out because I feel like Portishead in the 90s kind of led to a lot of these more hip-hop, electronic, uh, what-have-you groups that came in the 2000s out of the UK that had a female-fronted, you know, presence or a singer on a lot of their tracks. And so mm-hmm. I see I see some of the similarities for sure. I mean, even with um, Shiny Toy Guns, it's like they mm-hmm. got a few, they were an all-male band that got like a female singer to give them an edge. And I mean, I don't really know if you would consider Silver Sun pickups part of the indie sleaze. They're kind of maybe like a little bit more emo. But yeah, I will tell you the first time that I saw them live, when I discovered their lead singer was, in fact, not a lady, I lost my mind. I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? This whole time I've been listening to you guys thinking that like it's just some gal, like some some Brody doll type <laughs> gal singing lead vocals. And no, it's just a man who's got a great range. 
Who knew? I thought the same thing, and I found out when I saw them open for Third Eye Blind. <laughs> what a sentence! <laughs> what what a sentence! Yeah, that I saw that Third Eye Blind when they did a they did an anniversary tour of their debut album, and it was like they played a track for track, uh, and it was like side one, everybody's staying, everybody's singing. Side two, which I enjoy, but I realized it was not the hits. Uh, people started trickling out. And I bet you Stephen be- Jenkins hated it. It's like at a sports game that like, when the home team starts losing, you're like, the crowd is getting infinitely smaller as minutes tick by. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're going to go into an indie sleaze band that also had a little bit of a resurgence and also is a band that I had the pleasure of seeing live at Rickshaw Stop um, where they played this one song not once but twice on in their encore, much like when I saw Drake perform in Concord once and he played the motto not once, not twice, but three times, but at least it had the distinction of having Little Wayne come out on a skateboard for at least one of the encores of the same song. <laughs> Yes, that's right. I'm talking about the Ting Tings. That's not my name. So I'm going to get into more of a background on the Ting Tings than I do on anybody else, only because I fell down a rabbit hole and I oh. was very mesmerized by what I found down there. Me too. The Ting Tings are an English indie pop duo. They're from Greater Manchester. They formed in 2007, and the band consists of Katie White, who does vocals. She plays guitar, bass, drums, bass guitar, cowbell, (laughs) and Jules DiMartino, which what a name. If you don't think of Mr. DiMartino from Daria, I'm, I'm sorry. That's where my mind goes. But he plays drums mostly, lead guitar, bass guitar, keyboard. They basically do it all between the two of them. But Katie is the lead singer. So this is DiMartino and Katie White's third time working together because Katie's music career started at 14. But even before that, when she was young, her paternal grandfather won the UK lottery and he gifted each of his sons a million pounds to do what they wished with it. And Katie's dad decided to become a music manager at this point, which leads me to believe that Katie's father must have at least had some experience as a musician, a musician's agent, manager, booker, something like that. This story gives very Matthew Knowles energy, by the way, but a con- <laughs> but with less embezzling. Yes, less embezzling. It has some of that, but it's also like such an interesting way in. I mean, I think it really has more to do with the fact that all of this had to like come together. Like, I'm sure you know one of those faded things, like if she was go- she was destined to be in a band and be in music no matter what. But the way that she kind of has an in is like just so interesting. Like her grandfather won the lotto, which is like, what are the odds of that? Right. What are the odds that your father is not going to like invest the money wisely? He's going to start a business. If somebody gifted me a million dollars, I will tell you one thing. I would not go into the risky music industry at all. As I've discovered in my new job, I am incredibly risk adverse. I do the safe thing, especially when it comes to money. I would much rather put it in a safe and not look at it for the rest of my life than to overspend or do something insane. 100%. I recently rewatched Selena on a plane and like remembering that basically her dad puts all of the family business money into this. Truly, yes, I agree. So I just found that to be a truly wild backstory. But let's fast forward to Katie being in high school. She starts a punk band called TKO with two of her girlfriends. And that's when Daddy is like, these songs are not hitting. So he brought in Jules. And when TKO didn't get signed, they disbanded and Katie went off to college. But she gets back in touch with Jules when she meets somebody else in college and they start to form a band. And the three of them together come together to form Dear Eskimo, which is the first 
insensitive name band <laughs> that they formed together. They get signed by Mercury Records and they managed to play one really big show with some giant bands at the time. But then they split up because the, the way that the record label is managing them, they don't like they don't like the way that it's working out. So they fi- let's finally cut to 2007 when they form the Ting Tings, which if you're like me and you're wondering like, hey, is this band's name like a little racially insensitive at best? I would give you a sticker because you are correct. Here is the origin story right from Wikipedia's mouth. Quote, Katie White was working in a boutique with a Chinese girl named Ting Ting, which sounded like Mandarin Chinese for bandstand or listening, and White used it as the name for the band. The band then later researched that the name also meant, quote unquote, sound of innovation on an open mind. I don't know. It feels very, I'm going to get peace tattooed in Mandarin on my back, and then really it says fuck off. But you know what? Whatever. If you can't tell the difference because you're ignorant, that is none of our problems. That 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 put aside their debut single which was originally released as a double a side with great dj on the other side was released by an independent record label called switch flicker records in may of 2007 but after heavy rotation on bbc radio and nme the track was re-released another hallmark of indie sleaze was re-released by itself by columbia later in the same month and it included and it was also later included on their first studio album Uh, We Started Nothing, which came out in January of 2008. That's Not My Name peaked number one on the UK singles chart and 39 on the Hot 100, and it has sold over a million digital copies. It was certified gold in April of 2009, selling over 500,000 copies. And Katie said that the song was born out of and written because of, quote, me ranting about my frustrations with the music recording industry. Naturally, there are three versions of this music video. One, the Ting Tings are on a white background performing the song on a set with alternating scenes of white in with Katie White in against blue and pink backgrounds. This version of the video was used to promote the song after its 2007 release, and it was directed by Sophie Muller and Stacey Hartley. The second version is produced by Columbia and was put out in 2008 for the U.S. release. And it was directed by David Elaine, and it had them performing again on a set and it kept switching out with different like equipment and flashing lights in the background. The video premiered on MTVU.com in January of 2009. The third video, known as the alternate video, was directed by Alexand Lane and features the Ting Tings in a ghost desert town. There are double dutchers, cheerleaders, marching band drummers, sign spinners. They come out of the woodworks wearing all black and with reflective material. And the Ting Tings perform the song while people behind them skip double dutch rope, cheerleaders cheer, drummers drum, and sign spinners spin their signs. There is also an acoustic version of this video and song. Now here come the parodies. Dizzy Rascal performed a version of the song on the live lounge of the BBC One radio, changing the chorus to, they call me blood, they call me rude boy, they call me oi, they call me mate, that's not my name. During the Pittsburgh Penguin Stanley Cup run in 2009, a Pittsburgh radio station did a spoof of the song titled, That Is My Name, about a Penguins player, Avenji Melkin, who apparently had like a bunch of nicknames as well. The song was also parodied oh, on- it's Yefgeny, Yefgeny Melkin, but yes. Oh, thank you. Well- Thank you. I don't watch any sort of hockey. The song also got parodied uh, as He's Got My Name for Cartoon Network's Johnny Test. A remixed version of the song was also used for the pink segment of the 2008 Victoria's Secret fashion show. And now a small sample of TV and movies that have featured the song. That's Not My Name was in the trailer for the 2009 film Postgrad. It was on 90210. The 
uh, on the CW reboot, Brothers and Sisters on ABC, Taking the Stage in the City on MTV, as well as Fired Up the Movie 2009, Horrible Bosses 2011, in which Charlie Day's character sings the song while in the car while he's high on cocaine. The song was also featured on CSI New York. Um, it was also featured in Skins Season 3 episode Katie and Emily. The song was also used in commercials and advertisements for Despicable Me 2, Joe Fresh, The Lego Movie, Coca-Cola, Amazon Alexa. And if the song sounds extra familiar to you, it's because it went viral on TikTok in 2022. And much like people's lack of understanding of what POV actually means, it's because celebrities kept proliferating the viral trend by adding their famous and sometimes not as famous roles as what people call them. But initially, this whole trend started because it was about pets and how you give your pets a million names, nicknames, and that's not really their name. And that is the Ting Tings. That's not my name. So we both had to do a Ting Ting song because they were they both ha- huge songs. Huge. They were both huge. They were featured in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Like it was inevitable. So the song I'm talking about is Shut Up and Let Me Go. Uh, it was boosted big time because it was both an iTunes free single of the week and was on an iPod commercial in April of 2008, which is like ding, 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 That's ding, like ding, ding. It's like a double whammy of like your shit is everywhere. Seriously. In 2008, you couldn't do much better than that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, at this point, I feel like our podcast episode is, you know, if I were a sommelier for podcast episodes, I would tell you to listen to this and our iPod episode because I think they feed it nicely into one another. They pair well, like a like a nice soft cheese and a nice red wine, you know. <laughs> so this was the fourth single from their debut album, We Started Nothing, which was released in 2008. But this is the first Ting Ting song I remember hearing uh, I heard this before That's Not My Name, which is funny because this was the follow-up to That's Not My Name This, uh, in terms of singles. And I later found out it's because in the United States, it was released as a single earlier and it became a radio hit after it became the free iTunes single and the iPod commercial in the US because the Ting Tings were very big in the UK, but I don't think they had really hit it stateside just yet. And then the song was released in the UK in July of 2008. And when the song became a hit in the US, it was number 55 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number six on the UK chart. So while it didn't chart very high in the US, I think like because of its vi- you know, virality, if you will, it went very viral. It was kind of everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is like That's Not My Name, it's used in a lot of things. It was used also in the CW's 90210, Gossip Girl, Showtime's The Yellow World, MTV Latin America's Acapulco Shore, as well as movies uh, How- The House Bunny, I Love You, Beth Cooper. It was featured in the series premiere of Royal Pains. It was featured on Lifetime Movie Network promos. It was featured <laughs> in the final score in the BBC sports section of BBC red button. And it was played in a French commercial for Danette, which is a dessert from Danone and then was used in the PBS short dinosaur train and then was used in a K drama surplus princess. So it was everywhere. And I bet you there are other places where it was used because it was such a infectious song. Uh, the music video, which only has they only have one of, was nominated for a 2008 MTV Video Music Award for Video of the Year, but lost to Britney Spears' Piece of Me, but won for Best UK Video. 
And in terms of where they are now, the Ting Tings have released three additional studio albums since we started Nothing. Most recently, they released The Blacklight in 2018. And I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but Katie and Jules got together and had a baby a few years ago. Yes. I I was hoping you would mention it because <clears throat> I didn't want to yeah. take all of the juiciest tidbits for myself. But much <laughs> like Sean's surprise when he discovered that Matt and Kim from Matt and Kim were actually married, um, I was I was surprised <laughs> but not surprised to find out that A, they were together and B, had a baby. But yeah, that's all I have on the Ting Tings. Well, this is going to be exceptionally short. Because the most I have to say about Chairlift and the song Bruises was that (laughs) they had much like, I don't think it was an iTunes thing. And I don't know. They gave a free single and they were promoting it because at the Getty at the time, they were doing free outdoor concert series during the summer. And I absolutely had to go see them. And it was one of the worst shows I have ever seen in my life. It was just, it's not their fault. The sound was so bad. You're outside. It's windy. But it was also an incredibly lethargic show. And so their biggest hit to me because it was featured eventually in a iPad Nano commercial. Um, I'll get back into chairlift because they formed initially as a project between Aaron Pfeffening and Caroline Polachek, who is now her own independent artist, which I had no idea that the two were related until we did this episode. I was like, today huh. years old, today literally. Years old. Because I was like, I enjoy her music, but Me I did not too. enjoy Chairlift at all. <laughs> so they formed at the University of Colorado in October of 2005. And if this doesn't, if this next little tidbit doesn't make you scream, I don't know what will. They initially formed their band because they wanted to make background music for haunted houses. No. Yes. Get out of here. I swear. Get to out. <laughs> I didn't even know that was like a job you could aspire to want to have. You know, at the U- at UC Boulder, the couple of white kids, very much possible. <laughs> I guess that's true. Like, not everybody can write music for Casa Bonita, I suppose. <laughs> like, you gotta you gotta widen out. <laughs> <laughs> they added their bassist Kyle McCabe, and they formed officially as Chairlift, and they began recording the beginning of what would be the Daylight Savings EP at New Monkey Studios in Los Angeles, California, in April of two thousand and six. Chairlift then relocated to Williamsburg, Brooklyn in August, and then they got signed by K9 Records in June of 2007 and added added Patrick Wimberly to the group in early, around that same time. Chairlift released their first full-length album, Does You Inspire You, in 2008, and their song Bruises was featured in the 2008 Apple commercial that launched the fourth generation of the iPod Nano. And that was where, like, I kind of heard it all the time. Like, it was, it is, like, such a little, it's, like, such a twee song. You might even think it's she and him a little bit. But this did not last long. Feffening left the band in 2010. And as a duo, Polachek and Wimberly released two more albums, 2012 Something and 2016's Mop, before announcing the end of Chairlift in December of 2016. And Caroline Polachek has made herself a very successful solo career since then. And Bruises is a real silly little song about getting bruises because you like somebody. And it, it, I don't know. It, I liked it at the time, but re-listening it to it now, it doesn't hit the same as like re-listening to the Ting Tings. Like, oh, I remember why I like the song. But listening to Bruises, I was like, okay, I could never listen to this again and live a completely full and normal life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a very short one as well. So my next one is Feel It All Around by Wash Out. Uh, I know. 
No, it's it like was, the soundtrack to Indie Sleaze. I mean, I also I blame Portlandia for that too. Oh, for sure. And we'll get into that. So so I don't have a whole lot of information because Washed Out's kind of a a project uh, that's a little bit – I mean, it, it, ha- it it's still going on today or it's it's kind of a solo project, but not, not quite as – uh, prolific. So Feel It All Around was a song off of Washed Out's Life of Leisure EP. Washed Out, whose name is actually Ernest Weatherly Green Jr. So we we have to talk about how dudes with the waspiest sounding names were behind so many of these indie sleaze, sleaze adjacent acts. Like these dudes who grew up with like prep school money, what have you, went to boarding school and then ma- slowly made their way to like fucking Bushwick and, you know, became half of an electronic music duo. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing about indie sleaze, it's sort of a little bit like the um, Harvard <laughs> National Lampoon to SNL yes. pipeline. Like, it's got a lot of similarities there. For and that's not a compliment. <laughs> no, but it's very true. I mean, like, Vampire Weekend, I think, is probably the best example of this. Just, like, very, you know, everybody's from the East Coast. They all went to, like, prep schools. It's, yeah, anyway. Or they're British. <laughs> or they're British. Or they're British. But they pretend to be working class. Like, <laughs> Yes, 100%. Yes. The EP was released on September 8th, 2009 by Mexican Summer, uh, which is one of my favorite it labels of the Indie Sleaze era because they were at one point the label for acts like Best Coast, Ways Blood, A La Laws, and Curd Vile. Anyway, I first heard this song because it was featured on a free seasonal playlist you could download off of Urban Outfitters' website. Uh, I was talking about these earlier in the episode. Yes. Um, so it it made some of my personal playlists. And I have to say, this was on my rotation for a while. So, of course, it's probably best known because in 2011, um, Carrie Brownstein and Fred Armisen decided to make it the theme song for Portlandia, which, I mean great idea because what better song could you make as your theme for a show that just lampoons so much of hipster and indie sleaze culture. So this EP cover has a filtered photo of a woman in the ocean with the artist's name and the title written on white Helvetica over the photo. And every album cover looked like this in 2009. So it was like, check, check, check. Thank you, Vampire Weekend. But Really, that's all I have from Washed Out, because where are they now? I mean, this was their second of three LPs that he released under Mexican Summer in 2011. And at that point, he signed to Sub Pop. And since then, he's released four full-length albums, with the most recent coming out in 2020. And because he's associated with the chill wave genre of music, Pitchfork has dubbed him the godfather of chill wave, which just (laughs) makes me angry. Right, because that's that's exactly what a guy needs is to be dubbed the Godfather of Father, Chill Wave. Chill Wave, but it's true. When I do re-listen to Washed Out, it is so clear how much his stuff inspired people like Tame Impala's music in the last five to eight years. So Tame Impala started out sounding very differently, and over time, the evolution of his music very much echoes like the music that uh, Washed Out was re- releasing ten years ago. Totally, and that's what I have. Okay, well, this one is a little bit of like a mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped in DJs. Okay, this is essentially about DJs remixing songs, so it might get a little convoluted, but walk with me. Okay, we are going to talk about We Are Your Friends, which is Simeon Mobile Disco versus Justice, which when I was into Justice, I I don't know if I ever gave much thought about 
DJs DJing off. I just thought, here's a, here's a club banger that I love listening to. They're great live. If you want to dance, put on We Are Your Friends. But learning a little bit more background about who the fuck is Simeon Mobile Disco was interesting. So Justice, though, first came to prominence in 2003 with their remix of Simeon's track, Never Be Alone, which was created for a Paris College radio station remix contest. The remix resulted in the group being signed by Ed Banger, who released it, and it became a club hit and also a huge internet hit. The song was then re-released in 2004 on DJ Helve's International DJ Gigolo Records and eventually was given a commercial release in the UK of the summer of 2006 under the title We Are Your Friends on 10 Records, a sub-label of Virgin Records. So who the hell is Simeon? Simeon were an English rock band. They formed in Manchester in 2000. Uh, Simeon was formed while the members were studying at Manchester University. Um, it has three members, and they were all formerly a part of a live breakbeat project called King Rib alongside MC Mr. Wong and DJ Silver. Okay, but who is Simeon Mobile Disco? Simeon Mobile Disco are an, an English electronic music duo and production team who formed in 2003 with James Ford and Jazz Shaw, who were two former members of Simeon. Uh, musically, they're known for their analog production, but also Ford is best known for, at least to me, being in Last of the Shadow Puppets. So when they were just known as Simeon, their second album, We Are Your Friends, was released in the UK on October 28, 2002 on Source Records. Then on the Japanese release, which came out late, which came out the next year in March, included a bonus track called Out of Bed, Coins and Reasons. The first two, which had previously only been released in the UK as B-sides, were released alongside of the Never Be Alone single. So when the band splits up, Simeon splits up in, 2004, in 2005, excuse me, Ford and Shaw then decide to form a spinoff group called Simeon Mobile Disco. And in 2006, the single We Are Your Friends, which was a remix of their original song, Never Be Alone, was reactivated on Virgin Records. Uh, well, actually, their sublabel, 10 Records, as I had mentioned before. And the single was then credited to Justice versus Simeon. And it sort of started the life of this French music group called Justice because they had entered into a remix competition. But Justice even kind of came together in a really funny way. They first joined forces because they started to produce tracks together that were essentially going to be used, um, well, ho hopefully used, as a base for a Eurovision song contest entry. But that never really happened. They ended up remixing the Simi Mobile Disco song, and the rest is history, as they say. So the video, it would the video won at the 2006 MTV Europe Music Awards, which um, history will be doomed to repeat itself. Fellow nominee Kanye West appeared on stage to complain about them winning. <laughs> And in 2011, NME placed We Are Your Friends at number 19 on its list of 150 best tracks in the past 15 years. And then, as you know, it was also famously used as the title of a movie that starred Zac Efron being a DJ. And that is We Are Your Friends. Oh, yeah. That movie was like, wasn't it directed by the guys who do Catfish? And so then Zac Efron became a co-host of the show Catfish for a time being. That sounds about, about right. And I think Emily Ratajkowski is in it. It was not good. I don't remember finishing it. It was a lot of him like DJing by a pool and they were like really small parties. I'm like, and you're telling me that he's going to like blow up as a DJ? Okay. I mean, this is this is sounds very it sounds very Saturday Night Fever, but make it EDM in the 2000s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like. The older older people are going to try to capitalize on a music trend, and they do it a little too late, and it just seems pandering. 
Yep. But We Are Your Friends is also heavily used in promo cycles for commercials and trailers and stuff. So you've definitely heard it out and about. Oh, for sure. And I will say, still a banger. Actually, that whole the the Justice Cross album still is extremely good. Oh my and god, a, a yes. really classic club song. Always classic club songs. Excuse me. Well, I have another song here that was used in some commercials, and it's "Good Time" by Brazilian Girls. And I've picked a ton of, wasn't this in XYZ commercial songs today, but it's really what fuels a lot of our indie sleaze soundtracks. And mm-hmm. this song is no exception, as it was prominently featured in an Amstel Light commercial that I <laughs> very much remember. Brazilian Girls is a New York-based band, and this was on their third album, New York City, which was released in 2008. And as I typed these notes out, I did find myself saying, New York City, uh, a la Laszlo, <laughs> what we do in the shadows. <laughs> I felt compelled to type that. Uh, Anyway, Brazilian girls, much like other indie sleaze bands who named themselves weird things, were neither Brazilian and were not Brazilian. And they're only the only member of the band who was a girl is the lead singer, Sabina Scuba. And I'm so sorry, Italian friends. I am not good at pronouncing. Um, And she is Italian. Before their album, New York City, they had performed on Letterman and Kimmel, but this album and this song gave them more mainstream success. They received a Grammy nomination for Best Dance Recording in 2009, but lost to Daft Punk, who ended up winning Grammy a Grammy for Alive 2007, which is also a great live album, by the way. Still holds up. So where are they now? Brazilian Girls only released one additional full-length album after New York City, tw- 2018's Let's Make Love. Over the last 10 years, there were several breakout rumors, but the band reunited here and there for some singles and concerts. Eventually, they did basically break up in 2019, and there's been dispute around who gets to use the band name if they're no longer touring with the lead singer. Hmm. Sabina Scuba has had a pretty impressive solo career. She's performed with and wrote songs for famous Brazilian artist Babel Gilberto, who's the daughter of Astrid and Yao Gilberto. She released her solo album in 2014 and was a recurring had a recurring role on the TV show Baskets playing Penelope. She also released a, another solo album during the pandemic in 2020 which was kind of shelved um and so she had to release it on her own. Uh but yeah, she's still making music and that's that's what I have on Brazilian Girls. Okay, well I'm going to close out my list with an excellent English band, The Claxons and Golden Scans. The Claxons were an English rock band based in London. The trio formed in New Cross after meeting through Jamie Reynolds, the lead singer's girlfriend. Jamie Reynolds dropped out of studying philosophy at Greenwich University to work in a record shop. Simon Taylor Davies and James Wrighton grew up together and met in high school. Simon taught James the guitar. And they decided to form a trio. They recorded and performed live under the early guise of Claxons, in parentheses, not centaurs. The name was inspired by Filippo Tommaso Marionetti's futurism text, The Futurist Manifesto, which is the most philosophy major bullshit I have heard in quite some time. Um, Initially, the band played together with their drummer Finnegan Kidd in 2005, but Kidd left to play with fellow new cross band Hatcham Social. They replaced them with live drummer Stefan Halpern, who joined in February of 2006. Their first single from their debut album was Golden Scans. It was released in January of 2007. It reached number 16 on the UK singles chart and on the downloads, on the download sales alone in the first two weeks ahead of their album or ahead of their album release, it climbed and it had climbed to 14. And then finally, when their album did come out, it peaked at number seven. 
It was a minor hit in Belgium, and the track was also released on the Fred, the French label Ed Banger Records, which we just talked about with um, Simeon Mobile Disco and Justice. And it was released as a French exclusive. In May of 2007, NME magazine placed Golden Scans at number 40 in its list of 50 of the best indie anthems ever. In December of 2007, NME also then voted that Golden Scans was the best single of the year in 2007. Furthermore, their debut album was named NME Album of the Year. And in October of 2011, NME again placed the song at number 97 out of 150 best tracks in the past 15 years. According to a radio interview with Claxons, the name Golden Scans is derived from a performance luminary. The Golden Scan, um, S-C-A-N instead of with a K where the C should be, is manufactured by Clay Packy. They're an Italian lighting system for like large scale entertainment venues. Like it sounds very expensive and very pretty. The song's music video is directed by Sam Farhaman, and it's heavily influenced by Can You Feel It by the Jacksons. It features the message at the beginning, very similar to the words spoken by the narrator in Can You Feel It video. It also features other elements from the Jacksons video, including an inventive and contemporary use of light and dark, which is something that the band is like very into. You could tell from like the cover of their album to this music video with all three band members represented as light particles, wearing different colored ribbons and destroying shapes and moving dramatically to the music. The Claxons would release two more albums after Myths of Near Future, but have been on an indefinite hiatus since 2014. And that's that's all I've got on the Claxons, other than I believe someone in the Claxons dated Drew Barrymore at the peak of their fame. Yeah, that seems right. I right? She, she, I bet you, was probably between Fabrizio Moretti and Justin Long. She dated him. I'm sure. And I, and I couldn't even tell you which one, but she dated one of them. <laughs> So my final song is Polish Girl by Neon Indian. And while Neon Indian was known for a few other songs, this song was on so many playlists. And mm-hmm. this was the big single off of Neon Indian's second album, Era Extraña, and was released in September of 2011. Alan Palomo, who is basically Neon Indian, again, someone who is neither, well, no one is Neon, but I do not believe he is Indian. <laughs> Uh, recorded most of the album in Finland and primarily wrote the album using a Voyetra 8, a Korg MS-20, and a modified Commodore 64, which makes sense. When you hear this song and other songs on this album, it's very electronic, but like make it analog-y 80s sound. Uh, With the first weeks of production in Helsinki involving him learning how to use all that equipment. And he first saw the Voyetra 8 in a music video for New Order's song, The Perfect Kiss, and that was from the 80s. And he really loved what it looked like. And so he went with that, and that's kind of what inspired his recording process. So Polish Girl was released as a single on August 3rd, 2011, and Pitchfork featured it in its best new track write-up, again, check, 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 with writer Larry Fitzmaurice saying it reminded him of the Canadian band Stars' track, Reunion. Era Extraña was released a month later, first in Japan on September 11th, 2011, and the limited edition package that they sold, I I believe only in Japan, came with a PAL-198X, which is a mini analog synthesizer that he created with the company Bleep Labs. And the album reached number 74 on the Billboard charts, and that was the first time Neon Indian had an album on Billboard charts. So where is Neon Indian now? They released, or he released, one other full-length album after this, 2016's Vega International Night School, which peaked at number 100 on the Billboard chart. 
But since then, Palomo hasn't really done much with recording, apart from a song here and there and doing some scoring. So in March 2017, he appeared in Terrence Malick's film Song to Song. And in that same year, he composed the score for the science fiction film Everything Beautiful is Far Away. But since then, he's even said in interviews that he's just not very interested in recording anymore um, just because he would want to evolve what he was doing. That's really it for Neon Indian, and that closes out my list of songs. Uh, before we end today, so expensive to have I like know. a mini analog to give away I for know. free. That's crazy. I know. How much did that cost the label? So much. I really didn't make no that money back. Yeah, <laughs> but it was like there was a time where packaging. I mean, it was there's so much, so many interesting things. Um, every time we have a new technology introduced, of like. Who decides to do something with it? Like, uh, you know, when albums were still released by everybody, not just now where people release them, but it's more of a novelty. Um, they uh, were, they would have like, people would do interesting things with album art. Like Led Zeppelin had an album cover where if you like added water to it, it would like color in the lines or oh, something like that. I remember like that. that. Do you remember yeah. the Beth album where it was like a double album where one of the discs was actually all of the music videos for the entire album yes. on a DVD yes. and it came with stickers as well yes. so you could decorate the album cover however you see fit? Yes. And I feel like this this in itself is at least merits a bonus episode for our Patreon ding, ding, ding or somewhere else where – it packaging was a big deal for mm-hmm. CDs and and records at one point and like the concept of an enhanced CD which like does not happen anymore but do you remember like enhanced CDs you could put your CD and it doubled as a CD-ROM in your disc drive and like Britney Spears had an enhanced CD Backstreet Boys and Sync and you could access a very low resolution version of at least one of their music videos or a 30 second clip of that and like a bio on the band it was so wild what we were just trying to do to stay in line with technology it was essentially like a commentary track on like a dvd that you like totally (laughs) totally it was just but it was weird like we were doing all sorts of weird things um but that in itself is definitely worth a mini episode well i think that they're trying to do that now with like special vinyl releases now trying to entice them because like i know that you know i i'm sure you've seen like on casey musgraves store like you can get like a cassette tape but like how the fuck would you even be able to use that and I think it's more decorative than anything else unless you're one of those like audiophiles that like I still have a tape deck but I think with vinyl they have done some really fun things if not like the vinyl itself looking interesting but like adding extras into the trifold or something like that so there is some of that still preserved but not to the scale of which we of which we get like a free analog recording system (laughs) gifted with our vinyl I know Truly. Uh, nothing like soothes me more th- than watching a vinyl pressing. There's like a couple of record labels that will show like videos of it and how they mix the paints all together. It's oh, like it's yeah. very, very soothing and pretty. Definitely um, check out Third Third Man Records Instagram if you yeah. want soothing yes. vinyl content. <laughs> that is for me like one of my favorite accounts. Um, well, I think we talked uh, quite a bit today. I Any final thoughts before we end this episode? No, this playlist is going to be an absolute banger. So make sure you check out our Instagram because Emily's going to put together this playlist and oh, it yes. will transport you back to the mid-2000s where we all belong. Truly. 
Thank you again for listening to our podcast. And I will say, like we, we've mentioned it multiple times, if you want more of this Indie Sleaze content, you got to head on over to our Patreon page and subscribe because five bucks a month is going to get you a bonus piece of content. And for this month, we'll be releasing a uh, honorable mentions of the songs that didn't quite make this episode, but are still total bangers in their own right. So stay tuned and come join us over at Patreon. Ooh, and we should uh, make well, a Patreon exclusive pa- playlist Patreon, too. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, while you are listening to us on whatever streaming platform you enjoy, if there's an option to leave us a five-star review and rating, please. We always love to hear from you and we appreciate the love. It always helps uh our search engine optimization or visibility or what have you on our podcast. Uh, social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Old Millennials Pod. And I'm realizing that I didn't mention that we also now have an option on ACAST. If you want a premium option of this podcast without ads, you can also get an ad free version. So, you know, check that out. And then in the meantime, on social media, like I said, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And individually on Twitter, you can find us. I am at Emily A. Beijing. I'm at Marg Shiro. And until next time, we say bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.